0: Biggs, one of our elders, is here. He's going to give you an update on that. Thank you, Scott. Let's welcome Scott. huh?
1: Thank you. It's always a privilege to come up here as one of your elders, and member of the leadership team, and uh, have a few moments with the Daybreak family. Uh, what I wanted to talk to you about this morning, uh, a couple things. Uh, first thing I want to talk to you about is, in the past, we've held membership matters forums, which I think sometimes have been difficult for some of the family to attend. So we tried a different approach this uh, spring. We piloted Um, with a couple of different small groups, um, a new approach. And what we did was we asked those small groups to fill out a survey and tell us um, what they've been learning and what is helping them here at Daybreak to contribute to a 3C lifestyle. That's a celebrate, connect, and contribute type of lifestyle. And after those surveys, we compiled their responses, and then an elder went out and visited the small group and discussed them in more detail with them. Out of that, um, we learned a couple things. Um, we also learned some things from some, just some interaction and some other different areas we interact with you. And um, those discussions have helped us uh, to develop our go forward plan and how we're going to move forward. So I want to talk to you about those things. And The first thing I want to talk to you about is the fact that we have heard from many of you that while you enjoy the different speakers we have up front, you also enjoy a consistent presence up front. Um, engage and connect with that person and also feel that they're the leadership of the church Um, so what we are doing is you will be starting in the fall it's a little hard because pastor joel's still on sabbatical so starting in the fall you will hear a more consistent presence up here you will hear pastor joel and pastor rick here at gettysburg pike and then um, over at good hope road i'll get it right this time you'll hear from pastor sean and pastor john last time i mentioned joel's gonna be in two places we haven't figured that one out yet we stick with Pastor John and Pastor Sean over there. Um, we also are still committed to a team approach, so you will see some of the other speakers you see from time to time up here. The next thing we want to talk to you about was we've also heard that sometimes um, it's difficult for you because of family commitments or work schedules, if you work swing shifts and things like that, to make it to the Sunday serv- morning service. So we are going to be moving the acoustic venue from Sunday mornings to Sunday evenings at 630, here at the Gettysburg campus. We'll meet out in the main worship center cafe out here. Um, So we're hoping that you will find that as an alternative if you can't make it on Sunday mornings. And then the third thing we uh, hear from you is that you like to hear the financial updates and where the church is financially. Um, In your scoop, on the back page of your scoop, in the lower right-hand corner, you see every week a a weekly update showing you where we are as it relates to the budget. And if you look at it this morning, you'll see we're about $84,000 behind the budget. So the leadership team decided several weeks ago that with the beginning of May, we would go ahead and go to a reduced spending. And that reduced spending has been in place for several weeks now, and we've already started to see a positive impact on the finances here at Daybreak. So we're making sure that we're operating within our means and not living beyond our budget. Um, so I've thrown a couple things out at you guys today. i talked to you about the differences, uh, the speakers. I've talked to you about the acoustic venue moving to Sunday nights and I also talk to you about the finances. If you have questions on any of those things and want to follow up, on the bottom of your response card today at the end of the service, please write elder follow-up, and myself or one of the other elders will follow up with you. Now, if you'll please take a moment and join me in prayer. God, thank you for inviting us into your family and for making Daybreak a family that helps others on a life-changing journey with you. God, thank you for your provision. We depend completely on you to provide for us and to further your mission to the people and resources of the Daybreak family. God, we want to see your kingdom expanded. We want to see each person in our spiritual family transformed. Help us to love each other and to love you. Give us the courage and strength to obediently follow your lead so that your kingdom will come and your will will be done here at Daybreak. Amen.
0: Thank you, Scott. Why don't you stand, say good morning to someone, be real friendly, welcome them to church today. Find your way back to your seat, you can be seated. Hey kids, mom needs more help inside.
2: Hey. How many kids do you have? Three. Three? Yeah. That is a good number.
0: Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Um, let's just concentrate on this one for now. (laughs) Hey, what's it like being a dad?
2: Clams has been sleeping for two days, Daddy. Goodbye, Mr. Clams.
0: No. Alright, just slow down a little God, bit. Stop
2: yelling at me. I
0: don't think that's <sighs> No! Oh. Okay. Okay. Alright, uh, and that is why we always wear our seatbelt. And that's the birds and the bees.
1: I'm proud of you, son. Run. Huh?
2: Run! It's gonna blow! No!
0: Have I told you lately? I
2: know, Dad. You love me. You tell me all the time.
0: Actually, I was going to tell you I think you're beautiful inside and out. Whatever.
3: Dad, you are disgusting.
2: Yeah, Dad, you are disgusting.
1: This right here goes to your future, this right here goes
0: to you, and this right here goes to God.
2: Whoa, whoa, whoa! How much does God get?
1: What's wrong, beautiful?
2: Trevor broke up with me. Thank you, Lord. He's such a jerk. He broke up with me on a text message.
0: You just replied.
2: Dad, I can't believe you. <laughs> Thanks, then.
1: He didn't deserve you. He didn't deserve you.
0: One, two, three! Heavenly Father, thank you for being so good to us.
2: God has the coolest job. He can not make clouds all day.
1: Yeah, he does. But I think one of his very best jobs is when he made you.
2: Danny.
0: Hey, what's it like being a dad? How much time you got? A lot of great dad moments in there. Let's take a minute and pray. Just pray a prayer blessing on the dads that are here. Father God, even as we address you and call you by name, we recognize that you are an amazing father. And you understand uh, what it means and how important it is to be a father. And so, Lord, today, I ask for your empowerment, your courage, your wisdom, your blessing to be on the dads of daybreak. Lord, I pray that today they would know grace and patience and dependence on you in this unbelievably vital role that you've entrusted to them. And Father, I pray that as we learn to depend on you as dads, uh, that we would see you work in amazing ways through us as we uh, lead seek to lead our family well, and to honor you. So, Father, today we ask for your blessing on the fathers who are here. We thank you for them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Well, good morning. My name is Carmen. I'm one of the staff members here at Daybreak. And today we're continuing this series that um, is all about stories from the Old Testament, footsteps of faith. And it's appropriate today that we're talking about exchanging your dream, which is the story of Abraham. And that's appropriate on Father's Day because Abraham is considered the father of the nation of Israel. And I love this series that we're doing on the Old Testament because I love digging into the details of the individual stories and kind of figuring out all the the intricacies of these people that that made it into God's book. And um, I love, too, that when you get all these little details and you start putting them together, it's kind of like pieces of a puzzle, that as you put those pieces together, a bigger picture starts to emerge. And you start to see how all of these smaller individual stories fit together to create a bigger story that God is writing. And that's part of our hope for you through this um, series this summer, is that not only will you get a look at, Different snapshots of individual stories um, from the Old Testament, but that through that you'll be able to kind of put all those pieces together in a way that allows you to see the bigger picture that God is writing. And so, one of the ways that we want to help you kind of place these puzzle pieces together into the bigger story are through a timeline that you'll find in your um, outline. So, if you reach into your program guide, pull out your outline this morning, you'll see along the very bottom of the page there, there's a little timeline. Now, it's not exactly, like, there's, there's some discrepancy with among scholars on exact dates, so the dates are somewhat approximate, um, but it gives you a basic progression of what the Old Testament timeline looked like. And you'll see that today we're talking about Abraham, who is at the beginning of that period called the Patriarchs. And Abraham's story starts in Genesis chapter 12. And just to give you a quick recap of what has happened in Genesis 1 through 11, we see at the beginning of Genesis we see the creation, and God made this world in just in perfect harmony and unity with Him, and it was all exactly what He intended it to be. It's this beautiful creation, and then we see the fall. And the fall is when Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to assert their will over God's perfect will and God's perfect plan. And because of that, this perfect world that God had created became marred. And there was this chasm that was created between God and man because that perfect relationship was broken. And the world would never be the same again because of that. Well, things degenerated because of that brokenness between God and man. Things degenerated pretty quickly. And we see a few chapters later in Genesis that God decided, you know what? Enough. I've had enough of these people and their brokenness and and the way that they're choosing to rebel against me. And so I need to wipe it out and start all over again. And so we see the story of the flood and God wiped out the population on the earth except for Noah and his family. And he started fresh again. Well then, fast forward another hundred years or so, and we see the story of the Tower of Babel that you learned about last week if you were here in church last Sunday. We learned about the story of Babel where people are at it again, where they're trying to make a name for themselves apart from God. They're trying to be something in and of themselves without being in that relationship with God. And then you fast forward another 200 or so years, and this is where we see the introduction of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And the thing that is very intriguing to me about Genesis chapter 12, where we first meet Abraham, is that Genesis 12 is really a turning point, a tipping point in the Scripture. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are all about the world that God created and then the brokenness that ensued after the fall. And then in Genesis 12, the entire trajectory of the story changes, and the rest of Scripture changes takes a new direction in what this story is about. So what's that thing that happens in Genesis 12? Well, God comes to Abraham and he makes a promise to Abraham and he begins the workings of his plan to rescue and redeem all of the things that had been broken. And so the rest of the Bible is all about the working out of God's plan to rescue and redeem the brokenness that we find in those first 11 chapters of Genesis and when we find this tipping point, we find God coming to Abraham and inviting Abraham on this journey with him. He's inviting Abraham to exchange his old dream for a new dream so that God can give him this new purpose in his life that ultimately ends up changing eternity. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, not only the story of Abraham and the exchange that Abraham needed to make, To let go of his dream in order to embrace God's dream, but hopefully also you'll be challenged to consider what things are God asking you to exchange to be a part of his dream and to be a part of his greater story. So that's kind of where we're going today. Um, Hopefully you already have your outlines out of your program guide, and we're gonna jump into the outline this morning when we talk about exchanging my dream for God's dream when I first of all follow him into something new. I follow him into something new. Now, in order to fully appreciate this ask that God was making of Abraham to follow him into something new, we kind of need to understand a little bit of Abraham's backstory. Now, Abraham hailed from the city called Ur, which was a a metropolis kind of city. It was a very thriving city, a wealthy city, and Abraham and his family, his dad's name was Terah, Abraham and Terah and his family, they lived in this city, um, pretty wealthy members of this particular city. Um, evidence also indicates that Sarah, who was Abraham's wife, also came from this city called Ur. Now Ur, as was most of the other cities in the area, was a polytheistic city, which meant that they followed many, many different gods. There wasn't one god who was supreme, but they had many gods who were they worshiped and sacrificed to, so they had like the god of the moon and the god of the sun and the god of the trees and the god of fertility and the god of success and all of these other gods that they had. And this was normal for their culture of the day. In that culture in that time, it was normal that most cultures worshipped many, many different gods. As opposed to today where most world religions, not all, but most world religions circle around a singular god that is above all else, In that culture, there were many, many different gods, and so this is the the city that Abraham would have grown up in, and his family was no exception to this idea of of ascribing to a polytheistic theology. As a matter of fact, in the Talmud, which is the Hebrew oral history, um, there's a story in there about Terah, Abraham's dad, um, owning an idol shop. That was kind of what he did to make a living. Terah had an idol shop. And that's what he did. So Abraham came from this background, this family tree, that grew out of these idolatrous or polytheistic roots. So that's where Abraham is coming from. Now, all indications also point out that Abraham came from a really tight-knit family. They did life together. Again, not uncommon for the culture in that day. They did life together. They shared life together. Um, Where one went, the other went. If you want to liken it to a family today, think of like the good Italian family where everyone still gets together every Sunday night for dinner and, you know, they're just tight-knit. They lock arms together. It's that kind of a family that Abraham came from. Now, Scripturally, biblically, we don't have a lot of knowledge of Abraham's character before, he shows up, before God shows up to him in Genesis chapter 12. There are bits of Hebrew tradition that says that maybe Abraham was a little bit distinctive from his family in, in what he believed or how he worshipped, um, but there's not a lot to tell us that Abraham was really looking for any kind of new God, that Abraham and Sarah were on the lookout for a new God. There's nothing that tells us that. But God was definitely looking for Abraham because God shows up to Abraham and blows the door open with this whole new thing that he invites Abraham into. And this is where we first meet Abraham in Genesis 12. If you begin at verse one, it says this, then the Lord told Abram and Abraham's name was changed later just for simplicity's sake. I'm going to refer to him as Abraham throughout the message today. But when you see the name Abram, we're talking about the same guy. Then the Lord told Abram, Leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. So, big deal already here, right? Leave your land, your country, your relatives. He came from a tight knit family, and God's saying, Go, leave all that, and go to some place that'll show you. I haven't even told you where it is yet. And then he continues, I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord instructed him, and Lot, who was his nephew, went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. So imagine, you are a 75-year-old man and this God comes to you and says, leave everything that you have ever known and go to this land that I will show you. And I researched and I researched this week to try to figure out why did Abraham just listen to this God? Like, what compelled him? Like, there were so many other small g gods that would have been influencing Abraham's life. Why, when this one God comes to him and speaks so strongly, why would have Abraham followed him. And honestly, there's no good answer in any of the scholarly commentaries that I could find as to how Abraham knew that there was something different about this God. And so the only thing I can do is chalk it up to the mystery of who God is, saying that when the spirit of the living God speaks to someone, somehow you just know there is something distinctive about this God. And Abraham had that sense of there is something different about this God that compels me to want to be able to follow him. There is something about this God that makes him the God above other gods that makes me willing to lay it on the line for me, for him. And the thing that's even more amazing to me about this whole story is that there's no record of Abraham questioning, delaying, waiting around for a while. It just says, so Abraham got up and he went. So can you imagine what that would have been like? If he goes home and just tells Sarah, okay, Sarah, um, how about you get your purse? Because we're going somewhere. I don't know where. And scripture kind of indicates that Sarah was probably a little bit of a feisty personality, so I doubt she went very quietly. I know that I wouldn't go very quietly if Scott comes to me and just says, hey, guess what? We're leaving everything we've ever known to go somewhere. Where? I don't know yet. Yeah, right, buddy. <laughs> but God called and Abraham Went. There was huge risk at stake for Abraham, but here's the thing there was huge reward at stake for Abraham too. Because God is making an amazing promise to Abraham, saying, There is something new on the horizon here, Abraham. I'm going to do something great through you with your life, I'm going to bless you. And the world is going to be blessed through you. I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to make you this great nation. And all you need to do is follow me into this new place. And I am going to do something amazing through you. This is the promise that God gives to Abraham. And sometimes we refer to this in theology books as the Abrahamic covenant. It was the promise that God made to Abraham that said, Abraham, I'm doing something fantastic with you. And from this promise, God would birth the nation of Israel, a nation that was blessed to be a blessing to the world around them. A tiny little nation compared to the other nations surrounding it, they were a tiny little nation. And yet God would use this nation of Israel and make them distinctive and make them different and do these amazing things through this nation so that the watching world who believed in all of these other gods would see something in the nation of Israel that was following this one true God, this weird idea of just one God, that these surrounding nations would see something different in Israel and say, wow, there is a different kind of thing happening there. And so that through Israel, the watching world would get to see a piece of who the real God truly is. And yes, this nation of Israel would stumble, and yes, this nation of Israel would struggle, but this nation of Israel would ultimately also produce a king, and not just any king. This nation of Israel would produce the king of kings, Jesus Christ, who came through this line of Israel, this Jewish descent From beginning in this promise that God made to Abraham to raise up this nation came Jesus Christ, who ultimately became the sacrifice between God and man so that he would be the bridge to restoration back to the Father. This is the end game that God has in mind when he comes to Abraham here in Genesis 12. And what blows me away even more is that after Jesus comes and becomes the sacrifice— Not only does God say, okay, there's this one nation of Israel, this lineage of Israel, but now I'm going to swing the doors wide open to anyone who believes in me through Jesus Christ can be adopted into this family. No longer do you need the bloodline. Anyone who believes in me can be a part of this family can share in the promise that I've made to Abraham saying that I will bless you. Why? So that you can be a blessing to the world, so that somehow through you, the world around you, will get a glimpse of who I am. I get a little worked up about that. Can you tell? (laughs) This is an amazing promise that God has made to Abraham. Now, I know that Abraham couldn't possibly have known or understood all of the ramifications of this promise that God is making to him in the moment. He couldn't possibly know the end game, all the twists and turns that it would take. But he does know that God's promising him something new, and it's going to be good. And so Abraham has the faith to believe and say, Okay, God, I'm going to follow you there. Can you imagine if God made that kind of promise to you today? To say, I'm going to make something great out of you, through you, the world around you will be blessed. That you don't even begin to know what the eternal ramifications may be of the way that I'm going to work through you. Can you imagine if God made that promise to you? You want to know something? The truth is, he has. He's made that promise to you if you are a follower of Jesus. It says this in Galatians 3, 7 to 9. The real children of Abraham then are all those who put their faith in God. So no longer just the the bloodline biologically, but the children of Abraham are now all of those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would accept the Gentiles, those who are not of Jewish descent, on the basis of their faith. God promised this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. And so it is. All who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. God is making that same promise to us today. He's saying, I can do something great out of your life. This plan that I started to rescue and redeem the world through Abraham, I can continue that through you. You can show people a glimpse of, of who I am, the great I am, if you just will follow me into this new place. And like Abraham, I know that we cannot see the end game when God calls us to something new. We can't possibly know those twists and those turns that our day-to-day decisions will make in the long run. And I believe it may feel pretty ordinary sometimes in the day-to-day. We don't think that the decisions that we're making could possibly have that big of an impact. And yet God is at work weaving when we're willing to just step out And do something new. When God comes to us and whispers, I have something new for you. Are you ready for an adventure? God intends for our lives to be part of this amazing story. Is God nudging you to step out into something new? Have you been feeling that from him? And maybe it's something new in a big way, like it was for Abraham, something that's going to change the trajectory of the way that you live life. But maybe it's just something small and seems a little ordinary too, a little day-to-day. But I believe that God can take even those plain, ordinary, day-to-day moments and weave them into something bigger and better that we can't even begin to understand right now, the long-term impact of those decisions to follow God what they're going to have on the world around us. We can make a difference in this world. That's what we're called to do as the people of God. I have a great little video clip that just gives you a little food for thought on what it means for you to make a difference in this world. So let's take a look at that. Just like Abraham, you can make all the difference in the world if you're willing to follow him into something new, in the bigger, in the small. Just follow him into that new place. But you know what? Sometimes embracing that something new is a little bit hard because sometimes that requires some letting go. And that's our second point today. I exchange my dream for God's dream when I learned to let go. When I learn to let go. Now, letting go is easier said than done sometimes, right? Sometimes it's hard to let go of the things that we're hanging on to. I remember one time a few years ago, we were at the beach. My daughter was like three or four at the time, and she was collecting seashells. And she's picking up all these pieces, and most of them were just like the little broken pieces, but for whatever reason, they intrigued her. And so she's picking up these pieces, and she's filling her hands, and her hands are getting more and more full, and she's trying to balance them in there, and she's got them like just kind of all balanced in there, and all these pieces are overflowing. And next thing you know, she looks down, and she sees this perfect shell on the ground, like one of those like spiral ones, like the really cool ones that you don't see very often. And she's looking at it, and you can tell like she wants that shell, but she doesn't want to let go of these things here either. And so it was just funny to watch her for a while because she's trying to scoop that one up, but then these would fall out, so she's got to get these back up. And we're like, honey, just put down the old ones and pick up the new ones because I don't really want the nasty old ones in my house anyway, this new one we can have, but, but she's like, she didn't want to let go of these old shells, and she spent the longest try- time trying to work her way through this dilemma of how can I hang on to these old things and still have the new things, and we kind of had to chuckle at her for a while as she worked really hard at trying to figure out how to do that, and you know, we can laugh about things like that when it comes to seashells, but the truth is that we struggle with the same concept in our grown-up lives all the time, don't we? Our hands get so full of all of these things that are good, intriguing, but not necessarily the best. And then when something really good comes along, we're faced with this dilemma of how do I put down what are in my hands, these things that I've grown attached to for some reason or another, in order to pick up something new. And this is kind of the dilemma that Abraham is facing, because while God had given Abraham a new dream, it demanded that he give up an awful lot. He had to put an awful lot down in order to take up this new dream that God was calling him to. And it seems like he did, right? When you look at just these first few chapters in Genesis, God called, said, go to the land where I'm calling you. So Abraham picks up, and he leaves, and he wanders out to the wilderness for a while, lives in no man's land for a while. He followed, right? That was the end of the story, right? Not so much. Abraham discovered that there was an awful lot of ground to cover between the time that he stepped out into something new and the time that he could actually lay hands on what God had promised to him. Abraham learned that there were a whole lot of layers to letting go of what he had left behind. So Abraham gets to Canaan, and he sets up camp there, and he waits. And he waits and he waits some more. For about 10 years, Abraham's just waiting in Canaan. God had called, said, go to the land that I'm showing you. He ends up in this land that God is showing him, and he's just waiting. God's going to make a great nation out of him. He's now 85 years old. He still has no children. Don't you think you might start to doubt a little bit, like, what's going on? (laughs) I followed you here. What's happening now? I'm waiting for a really long time. Have you ever been there in your life where you feel like you followed God into the place where he wanted you to go and then you're kind of stuck waiting there? Okay, what's going to happen next? And you start to doubt. You start to doubt yourself. Did I really hear God's voice right? Is this really where he wants me to be? Could this possibly be right? Or you start doubting God? God, did you forget me out here? Are you really the kind of God that makes good on his promises? Because I'm waiting here and nothing appears to be happening. I know I felt that way different seasons of my life. And this is the place where Abraham finds himself. God had made this awesome promise to him, and now he's just waiting wondering what's going to happen next. And so Abraham decides, you know what, I think it's time for me to take matters into my own hands or start looking at plan B or something because God's not doing what he said he was going to do. I'm waiting here all of this time. And so we fast forward to Genesis chapter 15, and I'm going to start reading in verse 2. Your program guide picks up in verse 3. But starting in verse 2, it says, But Abram replied, Oh sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since I don't have a son, Azar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no children, so one of my servants will have to be my heir. In other words, you haven't done your part, so I'm going to work out another plan here. That's going to—it's the only way I can see it working out. But then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own to inherit everything that I am giving you. Then the Lord brought Abram outside Beneath the night sky, and told him, Look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be like that, too many to count. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord declared him righteous because of his faith. So Abraham is saying, God, I I have a plan B here because you're not working out your end of the deal. And God says, No, no plan B. I am still the God who promised this to you. You can trust me. To be faithful to my promises, he reassures him again, look, I will make you a great nation. And Abraham believes, and it's credited to him as righteousness. But while all this is happening, Sarah is having her own struggle. Because Sarah is also in this journey together with Abraham as well, right? And there is no biblical record of God speaking directly to Sarah. So Sarah's kind of getting all of this information secondhand, so I can't really blame her that she's getting a little antsy and deciding the same thing that Abraham was tempted to decide, to say, you know what, I'm coming up with plan B. God, if you won't do it, I'm going to do something about it myself. Huh, take that. And so Sarah does. She comes up with her own plan. In order to expedite God's promise a little bit, help him out a little bit, Sarah concocts this plan that she's going to give her servant Hagar to Abraham so that Abraham and Hagar together can have a son. And Abraham, the man who just said, okay, God, I believe you, and it was credited to him as righteousness because of his faith, says, okay, Abraham, I guess, is a little bit more like us than we think, a little fickle sometimes in the steadfastness of his faith. And Abraham says, okay. And so Abraham and Hagar get together, and that's just weirdness to consider how that conversation all happened, to make all of that happen. I guess we're supposed to not go in there. but So they get together, and they have this baby, and Hagar's son is named Ishmael. And we don't have time to go into all of the story of Hagar and Ishmael. There's a lot of richness there to dive into too, but we don't have time this morning. You can read about that story in Genesis 16. But let's just suffice it to say that nothing but heartache and conflict ensues from Abraham and Sarah stepping out of God's plan and not waiting for him. As a matter of fact, one quick little side note here on this whole idea of of Ishmael is that Hagar's son, Ishmael, that conflict still continues today because Hagar's son, Ishmael, became the father of the Arab nations. And Sarah eventually has a son. His name is Isaac, who becomes the father of the Israeli nations, the Jewish nation. Where is the biggest conflict still today in the world between the Arabs and the Jews in the Middle East? Where did that conflict start? Right here in Genesis 16, Because Abraham and Sarah didn't want to wait for God's timing and they stepped out of God's plan and it just created this whole trickle-down effect, this conflict that continues to this very day of heartache and pain and strife and conflict because they weren't willing to wait. Now, before we get too hard on Abraham and Sarah, though, I think we need to turn the mirror back towards ourselves a little bit and ask ourselves, if I had been in that same situation, would have I acted any differently? How often do I try to manipulate and control and make things work out the way that I want them to because I can't see that God's doing anything different. I don't want to wait for that. I'm tired of waiting for that. I'm starting to doubt that you're going to come through for me on that, God. And so I'm going to do whatever I need to do to take care of me Because, God, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. Ever been there? At that place in your marriage? When you feel like there is no way that I could ever see healing or an end to this conflict. And so, God, I'm going to do it my way. I don't care what you want. Have you ever been there in your finances? I can't see a way that the budget can ever come together. I can't see a way that I'm going to be able to make ends meet. God, I don't know that I can trust you to provide for me if I manage my money your way, so I'm just going to do whatever I need to do to get the job done. Have you ever been there when you're looking at your future? You're saying, God, I know that this is the direction that you're calling me, but there's an awful lot of waiting involved, and I can't see how this is ever really going to work out. The way that I think that it should. And so I'm just going to pull back and do it my way. I'm going to hang on to these things that I know that I can control. It comes back to the kid with the seashells. <laughs> we're holding on to these things that we think that we can control, the things that are in our hands. And we're saying, I'm going to hang on to these things because nothing else better is coming along. So I'm going to grab onto this. And God is saying, put it down put it down. You can't pick up something new and better until you put it down. And why do we not want to put it down? What's our biggest fear in that? Our biggest fear in that is that if I put it down, I may end up empty-handed. I may end up with nothing. At least this broken thing is better than nothing, right? God's saying, trust me in this. I'm going to put something in there for you. I need you to let go of the old in order to take hold of the new. And even if that means that you're empty-handed for a little while, or maybe even a decade or so, like Abraham was, you can trust me in this. Put it down. And then wait. Not in fear, but wait expectantly. For me. You know, so often in my life, I've discovered that the times that I've grown the most have not been the times that I've tried the hardest, but that the times that I've held less tightly, (laughs) that I've learned to let go and just say, okay, it's yours. Even if it means I'm empty handed for a while, it's yours. Now let's fast forward another 13 years in this story with Abraham and Sarah. This makes Abraham about 98, 99 years old, makes Sarah about 90 years old, and this is the time that God decides it's time for Sarah to have a baby. She's 90 stinking years old, (laughs) and she's going to have a baby. I was in my late 30s when I had my daughter, and I was considered advanced to maternal age. At 90, for Pete's sakes, you're getting ready for false teeth and walkers, not teething rings and strollers. I'm going to be thankful to be able to bend over and tie my shoes when I'm 90, let alone give birth to a baby for Pete's sakes. Sarah is like the woman. But this is the time that God says, okay, I'm going to give you a baby. When it seems completely impossible, God makes it known that this is the miraculous that's happening. This is all about me because naturally this would never happen. And so Sarah has a baby, and his name is Isaac. Isaac. And I can only imagine the excitement of Abraham during this time, not only because he's getting a son that he's waited so long for, but also because of the validation that this son gives to this promise that he had been hanging on to for all these years. Abraham's finally able to say, I wasn't crazy. This God is real. I wasn't a fool to stand out here waiting for this God all this time. He is making good in His promise. There was so much tied up into this Son that was beyond just the Son Himself, but all that Isaac represented for Abraham's faith and His journey and His future and this promise that God had made to Him. And Abraham's whole world hinges around this boy. He's the child of promise. (laughs) And He starts holding Him very tightly. In my mind's eye, I could see Abraham and this young little Isaac. I I picture this little toddler running around with dark skin and dark, shiny eyes, maybe a mop of black curls on his head. And I can picture Abraham shuffling along after him, just eyes twinkling with joy over his son. I could see him throwing his head back in laughter as Isaac says something funny or cute. Sarah, guess what Isaac said today? I can just see the huge joy in my mind's eye that Abraham would have had around this child. Abraham's starting to hold tightly. His hope is in this child. And so what does God do? He asks Abraham to let go again. Again. Why? Because Isaac had become the center. Isaac had become the hope. God was not the hope anymore. Isaac had become the hope. And God says, no, I need you in that empty-handed place with me at the center. I am the God of the universe. It's good for you to have me in the center, not this boy. And So God asked the unthinkable of Abraham in Genesis 22-2. He says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac. He's being very clear. (laughs) Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will point out to you. What on earth? Are you kidding me? Sacrifice my son? What kind of a God asks that? Sacrifices were brutal. If you read in Leviticus about how you prepare a sacrifice, that's just beyond horrific to think about Abraham being asked to sacrifice His son, why would God ask of that, ask that of him? Because Abraham was clinging to Isaac. Tozer puts it well in his book, The Pursuit of God. It's not in your outline, but it will be up on the screens for you. It says this, Abraham was old when Isaac was born, old enough to have been his grandfather, and the child became at once the delight and idol of his heart. Remember, Abraham came from polytheistic roots, idol, roots. From the moment he first stooped to take the tiny form awkwardly in his arms, he was an eager love slave of his son. God went out of his way to comment on the strength of this affection, and it's not hard to understand. The baby represented everything sacred to his father's heart. The promises of God, the covenants, the hopes of the years, and the long messianic dream As he watched him grow from babyhood to young manhood, the heart of the old man was knit closer and closer with the life of his son till at last the relationship bordered on the perilous. It was then that God stepped in to save both father and son from the consequences of uncleansed love. As hard as it is to imagine, God is saying, this is good for you. You cannot have this other thing in the center of your life because nothing in this world is perfect. It will let you down. This is good for you to not have another person or thing in the center of your life. Put me in that place. And I think about Abraham's story, and I have to ask myself, what is my Isaac? What is the thing that I have been either intentionally or unintentionally, pinning my hope on, centering my world around. What have I put in the center of my life that's not God? What's my Isaac? What's my idol? And honestly, I've made idols of lots and lots of things. I've made idols out of my desire to control, thinking, that if I were smart enough or at least manipulative enough to control the way that my life turns out, then somehow that would be the source of my hope. I've made idols out of things like acceptance, especially when I was in high school, man. The peer group, I would do whatever it took to fit in because somehow the center of my world said that if these people like and accept me, that says something more about my value and my significance. I've made idols out of my dreams, Determining one specific picture of what life was supposed to look like and going after that and to heck with anything else. I've even made idols out of things like religion, pursuing doing good things on the outside at the expense of allowing God to be something good inside of me. They creep in so subtly, they start pushing at the center until next thing you know, you're following this thing instead of the God. And I encourage you to consider what is your Isaac? What's the thing at the center for you? What really drives you to do what you do? What drives you to make the choices that you make or react the way that you react? Maybe for you, your Isaac is work because you get some sense of identity or fulfillment there. Maybe it's the pursuit of pleasure because you don't see any other way that God is going to make good and happiness in this life for you, so you divulge into this place of pleasure that becomes the center, and maybe that becomes addictive for you. Maybe it's another relationship like it was for Abraham. My life is pinned on this person. I don't know, there could be a thousand things that could be your idol. Is God asking you to let go? It's hard to make that choice, isn't it? to be willing to let go of something that feels so central because it almost feels like a piece of the middle of us is being ripped out. And it requires us to fully and completely trust this God who is asking that of us. And God's saying there's no other way to really have this fullness of life that I want to offer to you. Again, in the scripture, it's pretty amazing to me that when God makes this ask of Abraham, There's no record of Abraham delaying. It says the next morning, he got up and he went out. Somewhere in the middle of what I would imagine was a very sleepless night for Abraham. Abraham had said once again, okay, I'm letting go. I'm letting go. And so he takes Isaac and he takes his lighter and he takes his knife and he heads up to the mountain. And he gets to the mountain And he builds the altar, and he ties Isaac up, and I hope they had really good counselors back in that day, because I can only imagine that Isaac needed it after this. But he ties Isaac up, and he puts him on top of that altar, and he raises his hand, and he's ready to do it. This son, this son who he loves so much, his hopes, his dreams, his future, this promise that God had made to him, all represented in this boy, and he raises his hand, and he's ready to bring the knife down. And an angel appears, and he says, "Lay down the knife." Genesis 22:12: "Do not hurt the boy in any way. for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld even your beloved son from me." Abraham had proved himself to God. He was going to be faithful. He had proved that he was willing to let go, and that God's dream was going to be able to be lived. Through him. I love this story. I could only wish to have the faith of Abraham. This is why Abraham is called righteous because of his faith, because even in this, he says, Okay, God, I am letting go. And in the shoulders of this man, Abraham, God fulfilled his dream. He began and set in motion this whole turn of events that we talked about earlier that would ultimately change the course of history, of eternity. God shaped and sculpted and formed Abraham so that he would fit just the right place in just the right time in ways that Abraham, I'm sure, couldn't even see or understand so that eternity could be changed. So how is God sculpting you? How is God changing you? What are those seasons that you're going through, maybe even right now, that you're saying, what on earth is happening? And it's just a matter of God working through those waiting times to say, I'm putting things together so that in just the right place, in just the right time, you're part of this dream. Will you give up yours in exchange for mine? Because you have no idea what kind of amazing things I can do in your life and through your life. And we may not see the big picture right now, We may not ever see the long term ramifications of a decision to follow God in the here and now. But will we choose to believe that He is true? God dreams His dreams in us. And for reasons that I can't understand and I can't explain, this God of holiness and perfection decides to use people that are so broken and imperfect. In order to live out His plan, somehow or another, God has decided that it's OK for Him to invite us into the story that He's writing, so that we get a chance to play a part of it. It's not like He's using us like little pawns. He's inviting us into this story, saying, "I want to invite you into something amazing." Can you only imagine what your little life could mean to eternity if you learn? to follow me into something new and then let go of the things that you're holding on to? Will I exchange my dream for his? There's a great song that um, just says so well the story of Abraham and Sarah, and it gives such a, a beautiful picture of this God who dreams his dreams in us. So let's take a look at that song.
2: Got a little more gray. My steps are slow and long, and the promise you've made fades in the moonlight. I see a star. You see. to dream.
3: So what dream does God dare to dream in you? (laughs) I want to give you a few moments to consider that and ask God to speak to you. You can reach into your program guide, pull out your response card. I want to give you these next few moments to ask God some of those questions. God, what dream are you wanting to dream in me? Would you dare to believe that God can do that kind of dream in you? Is there something new that God is urging you to? Maybe something big or maybe something small. Are you willing to follow him into that new thing just because he said so? Is there something you're holding tightly to? Some shells in your hand that you're not willing to let go of? And maybe today God's saying, it's time. Open it up. Let it go. You won't believe where I'll take you. I'd love for you to record whatever it is that God is speaking to you on That response card today, if you fill out your name and information on the front and the back, you can flip it over, and there's a place to write your response to God this morning. Or if you have another prayer request that um, you would like our prayer team to pray for, you can record that there as well. Or if you want someone to pray with you this morning, we have prayer partners available. If you exit the back doors down the hallway to the left, and someone would love to be able to pray with you this morning. But I encourage you to take these next few moments just to consider, what is the dream that God wants to dream in you? And are you willing to let go and exchange your dream for His? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God who is creating a bigger picture than we could ever imagine. God, we know that we can't see it all. There's no way that we could ever begin to comprehend all the, the twists and turn that our lives will take or where they could lead, but we trust you in your sovereignty to be the God who sees it all and who has plans for us that are good, plans to give us a hope and a future. So God, I ask today that you teach us to listen for your voice, listen to your whisper that calls us into something new in big ways or in small ways. And I pray that like Abraham, we would have the faith to follow you into those things without hesitation, without delay. Give us the faith to trust you fully, and completely help us be discerning God show us what might be creeping into the center that wants to take the place that belongs only to you in our, in our heart of hearts in the core of who we are the place that was designed to be you in the middle of our lives show us what is trying to take over that territory give us discernment to see it and to address it show us whatever we're tempted to pin our hope on And help us to let go of those things. God, we commit today to following you into your dream. One step at a time, we'll live by faith. Thank you, God. Amen.